0: Thanks for listening to the Film Festival Secrets Podcast. I'm Chris Holland, and my guest today, or rather my guest a year ago when we actually recorded this, uh, is Biagio Messina, who is the uh, co-producer and director of a film called Dying to Do Letterman, and he's the co-host with his wife, Joke, of the Producing Unscripted Podcast, which is about producing unscripted television. Uh, We recorded this during the first... Uh, Atlanta Film Festival crowdfunding campaign, so you hear a lot of references to that, and uh, you'll also hear the voice of Charles Judson, who was the creative director of the festival at that time. Um, but the info in here is so good that um, even though it took me a year to actually release the podcast, I felt like you know I didn't want to keep keep that light hidden under a bushel. Uh, I will say the recording quality on this is a little rough. Uh, we had to switch through telephone. Midway through the conversation, so you're going to hear the call quality change quite a bit. Um, Don't worry about that. Just concentrate on what the man is saying. Uh, Try to ignore my lame jokes and uh, enjoy some really, really great tips on uh, crowdfunding for indie film. Of all man, yeah, absolutely.
1: How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, very flattered that you uh, you're having me on, and uh, I'm, I'm just oh please. Uh, yeah. Hey, l- listen, no, no kidding. You were such. You were a huge influence on Dying to Do Letterman. Um, and uh, well, anyways, I'll save it for the actual when we get started. But yeah, it's oh, so
2: we're
1: nice. To... Oh, we're starting. All right, this great. Is, well, where, where do you want to start? I, I
0: don't. I don't believe in uh, in introductions or production values. This is it. <laughs> Charles, come
3: on over here. Oh, oh, I'm dead. Here I come. I'm rolling over. Do you guys know each other or you must? No, no. no I, really I know good. I haven't no, met I you, but I've was... met Have we?
1: I, I don't think I don't think we've met. No, I've no, I've, no, I've seen I you. I <laughs> I've your seen you on so video, many. but I don't think we've met. It's very nice to meet you.
3: Yeah, your voice is so familiar because I've listened to every uh, producing unscripted podcast. Oh, uh, really? It is amazing information. You guys are so you're way too generous. With the information you're sharing, it's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's very kind to you. I'm glad to know that uh, people of uh, of import are actually listening to the podcast. I never well, know people, who's listening. People are you know? listening
0: now are pissed off that uh, we're not being a little more formal about this. We will put a link to the Unscripted podcast in the uh, <laughs> in the show notes. Actually, what's the URL of that, uh, Yadier? It,
1: it's uh, producingunscripted.com.
0: Cool. You want to give it a little plug so people know what it's about?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, um, my wife and I—we—we we, uh, our day job is making unscripted film and television. Uh, we do uh, anything from documentary series to reality shows, MTV True Lives to Beauty and the Geek and Scream Queen. So we've done—we've done a lot of stuff. Uh, it was really hard for us to break in, so we decided to start a podcast that would teach people how to properly pitch unscripted film and television, and then also give them a way to pitch to us because we sell the networks all the time. Now we're the production. Company. We're a company that we were trying to meet 10 years ago. So now we're in a position nice. where, you know, people trying to break in, we can team up with them and together we can sell shows to networks. Uh, we've got a new show coming out in January on A&E called Don't Trust Andrew Maine." Uh, we just finished a show actually did somebody pitch to us through our blog called Ghost Inside My Child which was a really crazy one for biography channel <laughs> and uh, I mean we do the, we run the gamut man you know listen it's uh, it's a lot of fun and you got to pay the bills so <laughs> Of course.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Of course you you but have
0: do you have a favorite guilty pleasure of the shows you worked on?
1: Of the shows that we worked on? Oh let's see guilty pleasure I I mean, because Scream Queens, we had, you know, 13 actresses who are already, you know, a little high strung living together in a house competing for a role in Saw. So you've got a real prize at the end. I mean, it's it's you know, it's, it's a real actual like people worldwide will see this actress on the big screen. It's so hard to offer a prize like that. And all the acting challenges—you get to cover in blood and bugs and snakes and do scary stuff that you wouldn't that's, normally get to do on a straight acting show. So, that's awesome. yeah, I would say as, as far as guilty pleasures go, uh, actually, I don't feel guilty. It was just fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted to call you because yours was one of the more unusual and interesting um, Kickstarter projects that that I saw, and. Um, Thank you. Rather than have me tell the audience, like, like, can you describe the film a little bit, um, and then Absolutely. talk about why you use Kickstarter and for what purpose?
1: Totally. And uh, listen, I have a tendency to ramble, <laughs> as you know from listening to my podcast. So you feel free mm-hmm. to cut me off at any time if I go too far off track.
0: Well, uh, I think we're only really limited by your time today. So I just <laughs> okay, keep an eye on that clock.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, well, the film was called "Dying to Do Letterman," and. Uh, Essentially, it's a film about a stand-up comedian whose lifelong dream was to perform on the David Letterman show. And he was actively chasing that dream when he got some bad news. Uh, You know, he found out that he might only have five years to live. And, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where when you get that kind of news... Deciding what you're going to do with the rest of your life is—it—it it suddenly becomes very, very important. You suddenly prioritize everything, and Steve decided that the most important thing in his life was chasing his dream, and that dream was to pure on Letterman. So he literally dedicated the rest of his life to getting on the show, and uh, you know we picked up with Steve. I, wow, I'm going to get my dates all messed up now. I think it was 2005. And uh, we had known him, and, and we got the news. He had started a site called Dying to do Letterman. And uh, when I'm trying to get on Letterman. Could you guys check out the site? And if you like my stuff, you know, send an email to Letterman saying Book Maison. And it wasn't until we went to that website that we learned that Steve had been diagnosed with liver cancer and that his prognosis was very bad, that there was no, there was no cure, there was no treatment for the particular kind of cancer that he had. And the only thing that he could do was take the best care of himself as he could. I mean, that, that was it. And we, I mean, we were shocked. And it's like it's so heartbreaking. But at the same time, Steve is such a funny guy. I mean, of all the people I know, Steve is one of the most like just bubbly, like just, just had always been just the most charming, happy-go-lucky, like just full of life people you could ever meet. And so, you know, we immediately called and said, look listen, no problem. Is there anything else that we can help you with? Is there anything we can do? And he said, well, you know, my dream is to perform on Letterman. He's like, but if I had another dream, he said, it would be to do a documentary about my journey. And, you know, I know you guys are trying to break in the film and TV. I mean, listen, at the time we were living in our one bedroom apartment, uh, editing actors, demo reels for a living. And I had actually done Steve's comedy reel years before. So we weren't, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment. We didn't have our eight thousand square feet, you know, of production facilities. None of that yet. This was like right at the beginning. So we said, "Of course." Uh, and uh, we gave Steve one of our cam, one of our two cameras, and just started filming. So that's, I mean, that's basically the 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 the, the, the story of the movie. We didn't know if he was going to get on. We had no way of knowing if he would ever get on Letterman. We didn't know how the movie was going to end. Um, the only thing that Steve asked us, he said, "You just have to make me one promise." He said. No matter if I get on or not, even if I die in the end, you have to make the movie funny. And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, thanks, Steve. That's easy <laughs> enough." <laughs>
3: Yay, cancer <laughs> funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, talk about throwing down the gauntlet. I remember saying to him, you know, "How about you just live, and we'll, you know, and we'll and we we'll finish this movie together." Um, I'm happy to report, Steve. Has, Steve is still alive. He has he has outlived his prognosis. Um, I, I, you know, the you unit know ends. But uh, but that sort of began the movie. So obviously, at the time when we started shooting, there was no Kickstarter.
2: It didn't even exist yet. Okay. So pick, so so picking up, you know, when we. Uh... When we started shooting the movie, which was, I think it was 2005 or 2006, I actually have to watch the movie again, look <laughs> at we'll the dates. But there was no Kickstarter. It, uh, yeah, yeah, the platform didn't even exist yet. I mean, there was no Kickstarter, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter. There might have been MySpace, but I don't think it t- taken off yet. I mean, this was, it, it was really like, it, it, it sounds archaic now, it's so funny. Um, but yet. so we, yeah, it was just there was, I mean, it was, you know, you're still talking about days of just, you know, calling people on the phone as opposed to using the internet. Um, so we, uh, you know, we we paid for the movie ourselves. I mean, it was all, we literally put all of our, you know, all of our spare change, so to speak, went into the, the movie. I think our official Kickstarter page, the bio, even says, we edited the movie on an IKEA uh I- IKEA kitchen table <laughs> because uh we spent all our money on the movie instead of buying better furniture. So <laughs> which was which was true. Um so by the time Kickstarter came along the movie was basically done, and we didn 't know if we wanted to use Kickstarter. we didn 't know how or how it might play into our strategy it was it was a brand new platform, but I really thought it was interesting and uh, we started supporting other films on Kickstarter one because I love to support indie film and love filmmakers and you know it was it was, it was great to to see their projects come to fruition and two uh, we we wanted to learn like what is this platform for who's who's being successful and who isn 't. Um, what are the interesting, creative ways filmmakers and uh, honestly anybody are using Kickstarter to go out and, and chase a dream that they maybe couldn't fund in a more typical way? Uh, and so then, so we, we finished the movie. We were getting ready to go to festivals, and again, it wasn't really we didn't really see a reason to go to Kickstarter because we didn't know what to ask for. We didn't have a specific ask in mind, but but what we did have was a strategy based on. One of my favorite books ever for indie filmmakers, and I'm not just kissing your butt, Chris. It's Film Festival Secrets. And if my wife were around, she would tell you when I was reading that book, I mean, I was literally just taking notes left and right. And we tried to take every single tip you gave in that book to make our festival strategy work. Uh, Because I think the biggest thing I took
0: away. The direction that this is going, Biagio. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well listen you know i yeah you know, one thing about me i got no poker face so if i didn't actually like your book i wouldn't be talking about
0: it <laughs> You can talk it. But, uh, I'm, I'm get, i'll be i'll begin over here in the corner
2: <laughs> but uh i tell you you know one of the big things i took away from your book is that you, there's no point in going to festivals if no one shows up to see your movie and uh i'm proud to say Literally, after following your book, I mean, it was it became a little bit like our Bible during that that, that period. Um, you know, we so I'm I'm fairly certain saying we sold out every single screening at every single festival. We won a slew of awards, a bunch of audience awards, and you don't win audience awards if no one shows up to see your movie. It's impossible. So so honestly, without knowing it, the first. The first big point in our Kickstarter strategy, even though we didn't know we were doing a Kickstarter campaign at that point, was following your book. Because by selling out every screening, and I think more importantly, by taking cameras to those screenings, filming the audiences, filming the sold-out crowds, filming people on the way out of the theater saying "I love this movie; it was a great movie," you know, we already had some social proof. We already had people saying the movie was 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 good. So. We were still wondering: Are we going to do a Kickstarter campaign? Are we not going to do a Kickstarter campaign? Why would we do it? And then, you know, we sort of won the lottery for filmmakers, right? At least for documentarians, which is that we got into DocuWeeks. Uh, DocuWeeks is put on by the International Documentary Association. Basically, by getting invited to DocuWeeks, if you if you can come up with the money, because it's essentially a filmmaking co-op. Um, if you can play in DocuWeeks, you qualify for Academy Award consideration. And that was a game-changer for us. That was a game-changer for our movie, because we were like, holy cripe, I mean, we have to go to DocuLeaks, uh, but that was going to be expensive. And even at that point in our career, I mean, we've actually gotten a lot more shows on the air since then, so we're in a little different place now than we were then. But at that point in our career, coming up with the money to do it right, which was... The entrance fee, which was converting the movie to a DCP, which was hiring a publicist to make sure, again, people saw the movie, it was going to be expensive. And that's when we decided to launch our Kickstarter campaign. And inadvertently, I stumbled into what I think is one of the biggest tips for filmmakers who, or really anybody who's going to launch a Kickstarter campaign, is when you make that video, when you put up that campaign, and you start asking people for their help, how are they supposed to know you're serious? How are they supposed to know that you're someone that if they go and they throw down their $10 or $25 or, you know, bless you, $250? How do they know that money is going to end up going towards anything that's going to get finished? Because, you know, Kickstarter doesn't guarantee that people who put their money in are going to get anything out of it. You know, they have to trust you, and they have to believe that it's important to you. And by finishing our movie, before we ever ask anybody for a dime, by putting our money where our mouth was, we in effect had a big card to play. We were like, listen, we would not ask you for our help if we didn't believe so much in this movie that we put every single bit of our life savings into it. And that's a big card to be able to play. Now, obviously not every filmmaker can play that card, but I think that the more that you can bring to a Kickstarter video or a Kickstarter campaign where you're saying, hey, I've already done A, B, C, D, and E because this is so important to me. I want you to join me on this ride, and I'm not asking you to, to risk anything I haven't already risked. I think that's a sentiment that people respond to. Um, as a side note, it's really how me and Joke ended up launching our company as well, doing unscripted television. We went out and just started shooting TV pilots, and we'd walk into executive's offices and be like, we know really you don't want to spend a bunch of money on a couple unknowns, so here's a couple of shows we already made just to show you we can do it. I think that's a big part of the psychology of the successful Kickstarter campaigns that we saw, um, another thing that we did, and I think this is a really important tip for filmmakers, especially because what we did two years ago, I, you know, things have changed. There's been so many Kickstarter campaigns that are constantly evolving and changing. But what we did then, which was in 2011, I personally went and I watched, I think, between 25 and 30 Kickstarter campaigns that were successful. And I, by hand typed up word for word and graphic for graphic every single thing that was in those videos like it was like i think it was 25 i think it was 25 and it was it was it was it was a day and a half of just literally transcribing these videos and i tried to pick from a variety of different places and i tried to look for common themes like the people that are succeeding right now even if one guy is doing a crazy you know iphone gadget someone else is doing a movie and someone else is doing a book what are the things that seem to overlap? What are the things that people seem to be doing right? And then I watched a bunch of the ones that failed. I didn't bother typing those up. But (laughs) but I watched a bunch of the Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah, I mean, I was like, well, you know, I don't do that, right? Um, But I watched a bunch of the ones that failed, and I did find there were a lot of similarities in the ones that had failed. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed it, it, and, I, and I think that we tried to take even farther was the whole put your money where your mouth is thing. Like, hey, listen, we're, we've got this Kickstarter goal, but here's what we've already done, you know. And we're asking, we're asking for your help, but only because it's something we couldn't finish without you. That was one. Another thing that I noticed all the successful Kickstarter campaigns seem to be doing, and this is a tough one, is to me it seemed like even if they were speaking – to you as in like a plural, you as as into like the crowd, like if all of you could help us, there was something about the delivery of the people talking that made you feel like they were talking to just one person. It felt really, it it was, it, it made you feel like, Hey, I'm talking to you and my message is from me to you. And I noticed a lot of the ones that failed, they didn't really seem to have almost any point of view. They just seemed to be talking in general. Um, but the really successful ones, they seem to take it to that next level where at least at times during the video, you felt like you could be having a conversation with that person running that Kickstarter campaign. And we, that was something we worked really hard to do. Now, we're very lucky in that, uh, you know, Steve, he's a comedian. He's amazingly charismatic. Uh, it wasn't like I had, it wasn't like it was that much of a stretch to get him to a place where he could be charming and speak from his heart and tell his story, and you know, and me and Joe did the best that we could to keep up with him. But I think that that was that was a real key to success as well. Um, then the other thing that you know, once we once we had sort of watched all the videos, uh, we were like, okay, now we need to really figure out our strategy of like, you know, who are we talking to? You know, who who are the people that are likely going to give us money? Because a lot of the campaigns that had failed, I had no clue who they were talking to. Yeah, I didn't know if they were talking to friends or family or if they were talking to filmmakers, if they were just, you know, talking to anybody who happened to stumble upon their video. And that, for me, seemed like a tra- like an easy trap to fall into. Because you've got to ask yourself, who's the most likely people they are going to go ahead and write a check or put down their credit card? To support this, and if you're not talking to them first and foremost, I think that's a mistake because uh, you know you can speak to the entire world, but the entire world is not going to support your Kickstarter campaign. So better to be ultra specific in who you're talking to, uh, knowing that that's going to be the majority of supporters anyway. And then if if you're too specific for the general audience member that happens to watch, uh, I still think you have a better chance of converting them than if you're if if it just sounds like you're talking to anybody in general. So we so broke down know, our if list. You,
0: uh, if you knock what, it out of the park with the 20%, then the, the 80% don't matter quite so much.
2: Right. right exactly. Exactly. Um, and so we broke it down into the categories we've broken down. Number one, were friends and family. Number two, anybody with a dream, which is a pretty broad category, but we kind of felt like that anybody with a dream would cover anybody. Uh, number three, anyone who'd been touched by cancer, which was a lot of people. You know, um, and then number four, uh, comedy. You know, comedians, comedy. anybody in the comedy world, because obviously Steve being a comedian. And number five was uh, filmmakers in general. And we sort of, and we sort of saw uh, a different approach to each of those. For friends and family, like we we knew that we were going to write in, in, in friends and family. I'm being very broad with that term because me and Joke personally gathered every single email address of any person we'd ever emailed in the history of email. <laughs> it didn't matter if we hadn't to talked to them in 20 years. If I had an email, they were getting emailed. That was number one. And number two, we spent probably two days crafting that email. Because we wanted the email to be as honest and as heartfelt, and at the same time... Um, you know, not be sappy, not feel like this depressing thing. Like, it was really important that the email, just like our message, would feel like it was crafted to whatever person was getting it, you know, so that you felt like I was talking to one person. But at the same time that we expressed that this was so important that if any, that we were willing to call in any favor we had. And, you know, you got to kind of be shameless a little bit. And, and And that's why, for us, choosing to do a Kickstarter campaign was a big deal, because we felt like if we were going to do it, we were going to do it. And when we got done, we might piss off a few people. There might be a few people who were going to be annoyed with us. You know, it was actually kind of a career risk because I, we were emailing the president of Fox and the president of CBS and, the, you know, the president of E! and Lifetime and anybody who we'd ever even remotely crossed paths with. And we said, you know what, this movie is more important to us than anything else right now. We didn't care. We did it. So that was number one, was that email. And then the second part of that, friends and family, were phone calls. Because it's a cyber, you know, yes, it's a cyber world and it's easy to put up your Kickstarter campaign and it's easy to send out a bunch of emails. It's also easy to ignore those emails. It's a lot harder when I pick up the phone and I say, hey, listen, this is really important to me. I wouldn't be asking if it wasn't. I'm asking you for two things. I'm asking you to pledge and I'm asking you to call anybody you can and ask them to pledge. And I, I really think the first half of all of our success in Kickstarter, that's what it came from. It's the emailing and the calling and then putting me, Biagio, and putting Joe, you know, the person and and Steve Maison, the person and his wife, the person on the phone saying, guys, this isn't just an email that we're sending out blindly. This is something that's really important to us. And I think most, almost every person we talked to after we hung up the phone pledged almost immediately. I would say more than half of them pledged while we were on the phone with them. That's so important to get your Kickstarter campaign going, because uh, you know you've got to show people that, that you have support in order to garner more support. It's sort of that it's sort of that I don't want to jump on board until I see other people are jumping on board thing. And in our very first day of our Kickstarter campaign, I think we raised six or seven thousand dollars. It was a lot. It was a big chunk, and we had we had prepped that by making sure everyone knew. Listen, we're about that a lot of people knew we were about to go live. So, like, the people that we knew that would support us, like our direct family and our really close friends, were like, we need you to pledge, like, in that first hour. So that, so, so that wave was ready to go, and as soon as they had pledged and we had a little bit of money there, we sent out the mass email. So that was a big part of it in friends and family. Um, you know, moving on to the anyone with a dream, it was really important to us that people could sit back and watch the campaign and go, you know, I know what it's like to have a dream. I think we all do. You know, in and all, in, in all of us, even people who are living a part of their dream, I think all of us have come to a point in our life where we go, you know, I, I wish I could have done X. It was just for whatever reason in life, I didn't get to do it. What if I could have? And I think that was Steve's message is like, what if you found out you only have five years left to live? What would you do? And so we crafted all of our rewards and all of our sort of like more general outreach, we crafted into that. Like, what are you dying to do? Steve was dying to get on Letterman. What are you dying to do? And some of our rewards, like the "I'm Dying To" buttons, uh, where Steve would personally write your dream on the "I'm Dying To" button. You know, I think that really that really tapped into something that was cool for a lot of people. It was a way of them uh, making their own dream concrete, handwritten by Steve on a button they could wear on their shirt. I think that was something that people really responded to, and that that brought in a lot of people that we didn't know like a lot of people that were outside of our friends and family they were just like, this is awesome. I have a dream. And the dreams range from climbing Mount Everest to learning to play the drums to meeting Jimmy Carter. I mean, it was it was wild. The dreams that people would tell us that they had. And so you I think mean, trying to have, stand- really? yeah, it, actually that's a really funny story. That's on the, our Kickstarter page. This woman wrote down, I want to meet Jimmy Carter. Five minutes later, she met Jimmy Carter. It was a different <laughs> Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> this guy goes, "Hey, I'm Jimmy Carter." It was, I think, it was at the Cleveland Film Festival, and uh, it was the guy. It was uh, it, it was hilarious. It was this, this really like, you know, like tall, burly African American guy working the popcorn stand at the theater. His name was Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and she's like and we got video. She's like, "My dream came true. These buttons are magic." <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> so, so that was really cool, and that was sort of like, okay, that's how we can tap into people's dreams. Another thing in, in sort of shaping the rewards, because, you know, you always want to have that $1 reward and that $10 reward, and I think that everybody sort of, like, the default thing at the time was, you know, if you, if you pledge a dollar, you get, you know, you get the access to our, to our updates, and that was something we noticed everybody was doing, and we're like, well, what else can we do? Is there something we can do that's not going to cost us any money, you know, that, but that we can give something extra at that $1 level? And, you know, I I think that one of the things filmmakers can take advantage of is electronic delivery, right? I mean, it costs nothing or practically nothing to give away an MP3 or a PDF. And so we were like, this is great. Rather than just giving access, one of the great things that we can do at the $1 level is give away one of Steve's comedy routines as an MP3. And so that was like a nice little extra thing. So for a buck, you didn't just get access to our updates. You also got Steve's comedy routine. And for $10, you got a whole album from Steve. The great thing for us is it didn't cost us anything, right? We put up the MP3s. I think it was on, um, I don't remember if we used, uh, uh, we used one of the, like, you send it, I think, or, you know, one of the services where it wasn't really expensive at all. It might have even been Dropbox. Easy for people to download. There's small files, something that Steve legitimately sold on iTunes. So it did have a monetary value. It didn't cost us anything to give it away. And so it's important that think at those lower dollar levels to come up with rewards to tie that can tie into that bigger, broader thing that you're trying to do, which is for us tap into dreams. You'll see his dream being a comedian. We're giving away one of his comedy MP3s, but it doesn't cost us anything because <laughs> the more money you give away in shipping and handling and all that stuff, the more you're going to, you know, essentially lose out of what you want to do. So, anyways, that was part of our, you know, reaching out to the broader audience with the dreams. You know, moving on to. Um, uh... to the cancer community. I mean, that was one of the things where was like, okay. I mean, obviously, Steve has a has a real tie to not just the people that he's been, you know, performing for and dealing with over the years, who now learned that he had cancer. But it was, you know, we reached out to the American Cancer Society. We reached out to, you know, basically any charity or any, you know, anybody who we thought would, you know, would benefit from seeing the movie, and we weren't just necessarily asking them to. Uh, to support us. In a lot of cases, we were going the other way. You know, we put up a bunch of charity screenings of the movie, and we gave all the proceeds to that charity. Uh, You know, one was Team Lucy, was a a young girl who was diagnosed with cancer, and we actually traveled to her hometown and put up a whole screening of the movie, and all the proceeds went to her. Um, It brought us a lot of press, which was wonderful, and, you know, that's obviously what we got out of it, but we were happy to be, be able to say, even as we were asking you for help, we were able to say, look, we're also giving back. So I think that helped us really tap into the cancer community in a positive way. And, and you know, it's not so much that we were asking people with cancer to come support our film. It was just more we were trying to say, hey, listen, we think this is a real positive message about a guy with cancer. And we thought that not so much that tapping into the cancer cancer community would bring us money as much as it would allow us to give back. And, you know, and, 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 uh, and then that would also bring in more press, which is exactly what it did. And that helped a bunch. Um, you know, after that, tapping into the comedy community.
0: Um, I'm sorry, did, did you have a question? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. That also helped with your, with getting into festivals, as I recall. Yeah, um,
2: well, you know, the festivals, it was, <laughs> we had, a, we had a, a, a love-hate relationship with the festivals. Um, and it was really funny. Uh, you know, quick side story. You know, how do you do a movie about a guy dying of cancer? That's funny. You know, or, or it at least isn't depressing. You know, how do you how do you make that movie and not have it feel like every other cancer movie that's ever been made? And so we did our best to keep the movie feeling light, and we did our best to sort of follow a a, for lack of a better term a more standard Hollywood blockbuster-type structure. In other words, looking at things like the, you know, the old stock screenwriters, you know, Tricks of the Trade, like The Hero's Journey, and you know, all the tips from books like Save, by, you know, Save the Cat, things that, you, that are sort of poles in regular movies that we had because we were shooting for eight years, um, and sort of make the movie feel a little bit more like a traditional Hollywood film. And you know, the feedback we got from a lot of festivals was it doesn't feel like a documentary. It feels, it feels like a little bit more like a light Hollywood film. And some festivals flat up told us they wouldn't program us because we felt too commercial, which I thought was hysterical. Um, yeah. okay. And then, of course, the festivals, what's that?
0: I'm just, that's very interesting to me.
2: Yeah, no, it was. It was really interesting. And, of course, the festivals that did program us um, we won. (laughs) We won a lot of awards. A lot of that is, is, listen, I credit that to Steve and his amazing story. Um, but so, you know, I always felt like, okay, we, we definitely, there was definitely a big sort of like polarizing effect in a lot of the people who wrote about the movie because they felt that, you know, we were doing things that, that didn't necessarily feel like traditional doc. Um, you know, Steve did the top 10 benefits of catching cancer which I thought was hysterical and only Steve could do, you know, and some people thought that was amazing and wonderful. And some people were like, that's got nothing to do with, you know, traditional documentary and uh, to which, you know, overall was kind of like, well, the documentarians are, you know, artists too. We can try things like we're not, we're not like making stuff up. We're not shooting scenes that didn't happen. We're not, you know, we're not creating anything. We're just finding interesting ways to do what every documentarian does, take years of footage and cram it into 80 minutes, you know?
0: Um, but anyways... So, so, so how did that cancer, you know, um, audience respond? I imagine, like, there were people kind of all over the place.
2: Um, I was actually shocked in that the cancer audience was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the first time we played the movie was in Washington, D.C., at a, a, a essentially a uh, a liver cancer symposium, it was it was a lot, It was all patients with liver cancer, and every single one of them was terminal. Everyone, and I mean, I'm talking a room full of like 200 of these people, and me and Steve were backstage getting ready to play this thing, and we were there with Joe, uh, my wife, and and we. I'm not gonna lie, we were scared to death because I was like, you know, I mean, on one hand, we always said, listen, Steve is the guy with cancer. This is, real, we're doing the best we can to tell this from Steve's point of view. You know, we think that that justifies everything in the movie. But I mean, you know, he's like, he's doing the top 10 benefits of cancer, you know, which are things like, I can stand as close to the microwave as I want, you know, and and blame, you know, blame, uh, you know, blame my hair loss on chemotherapy instead of male pattern baldness. I mean, they're like hilarious jokes, but they're also, you know, could be fairly offensive to cancer patients, right? We we didn't know how it was going to go over and, um, I mean, it was, it was standing ovation. I mean, they were, they just, they were, they were coming up to us one after another saying, thank you for treating me like a person instead of a patient. And I think that when we heard from like three different people, I was like, wow, that's awesome. They're like, people treat cancer patients with kid goat gloves and make us feel like, you know, like, like almost less than human by, by the way they treat us so delicately. And the fact that you just tackle it like, head on, they, they would just, they just thanked us left and right. And that gave us a lot of confidence that we weren't going to tick off, you know, people with cancer, um, which was great. Uh, But it also just, it just made us feel great that no matter what happened with the movie, we knew that there was going to be people out there whose lives would be touched by Steve's story. Um, But the festivals, they were like, ah, you know, six of one half dozen to the other. Yeah, that's nice. Bring in a charity if you can. Some of the festivals they had, they, they they would pair us with partners, which was nice. Um, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where I don't know so much that it helped us with the festivals. Uh, what seemed to help us more with the festivals was us saying, listen, we're going to come in, we're going to have a street team. (laughs) We're going to do everything you read about in Chris Holland's book, (laughs) festival secrets. (laughs) We're going to make sure people show up to the movie. Uh, that seemed to have more of an effect with the festivals than any of the other stuff, honestly.
0: So um mentioned that that last group uh, filmmakers uh, what was your strategy there
2: well so this was th- this one worked out way better than we ever could have hoped um but you know what we tried to do was like at it, first every day during the campaign but like it was it, it was crazy cuz let me tell you doing a kickstarter campaign right is is like a full-time job cubed because i mean it's it is i, I was probably going in 2 or 3 uh hours of sleep a night and uh, there was literally in that first week I was sleeping at the office, um, but because it was like it was just around the clock trying to figure out what can we give back to filmmakers and, you know, and to donors as well. But we knew that filmmakers would be looking at the Kickstarter campaign as like, you know, they, they tend to look at successful ones. And of course, we wanted to be successful. And so we were, I was like, I'm going to give away every single thing I can about what we're doing. And so we were posting new videos, and we were posting up, like, we, like, the graphics we use in our Kickstarter campaign. Like, I posted those graphics and gave them away for free. Like, I built this whole little After Effects project that lets you animate the Kickstarter counter and gave away. Um, I was like, anything I could do for filmmakers, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, hey, listen, even if you don't want to support our film, here you go. Take these graphics and use them in your own, because I know filmmakers are broke. We're all broke, right? Independent filmmakers don't have any money, but I'm going to give away as much as I can. And again, the hope was that some filmmakers would support us. But what I hoped is that it would be a way to draw press. And what worked out was awesome is we landed on the front page of IndieWire. And it was something like the, I don't know, it was like the 19 things the Dying to Do Letterman Kickstarter campaign is doing right. And it brought a flood of traffic to our Kickstarter campaign. And it helped us bring in a lot of, a lot more money I feel like from the filmmaking community so I think that by giving back to filmmakers and we were I mean we were going crazy I was trying to give back every single thing we could um including you know like hey this worked this didn't this is why we did this this is why we did that like through blog posts, through videos through giving away free graphics I just thought like if I could give away as much as possible it would lead to more eyeballs on the campaign and luckily it did Um, So those, I mean, those were the buckets. That was the plan, and obviously that's specific to us. But I think that by coming up with those buckets of these are the people that I'm going after, it then helps you sort of brainstorm creative ways to get to them. And then you have to ask yourself: Do I want money from this person? Do I want this person to, or or do I want to find ways for these people to lead to more press for our campaign, or both? At least that was how we looked at it. You know, I had no experience my first Kickstarter campaign. It might be my last. Um, but, it, but it was, it was the best we could do, you know, to sort of think through everything. And, you know, I think I had an added pressure that I felt like, hey, listen, it's emotional for me to talk about it. My friend has cancer. At the end of the day, this is a movie about my friend who's dying. And I felt like if I screw this up, you know, I, if, if I, like, if I, if I screw this up, I'm hurting my, my, I'm hurting my friend's dream. And my, and what if what if he passes away? You know, what if he passes away and we don't we don't make this happen? Like I I mean I get emotional now just talking about it. At the core of everything was that great emotional desire to help my friend, and that's what kept us going the late nights, and that's what kept us going all the years making the movie. You know, and so, nothing no, no will ever do. Be... Yeah, <laughs> it was it was honestly it was more it, ma- making Dinah do Letterman which in the grand scheme of things isn't really that huge of a budget. I mean, it was for us, but you know, ma- making that movie was more pressure than getting handed millions of dollars by a television network to deliver a series. Um, and, and there's just no other way to say it. Like it was the hardest, scariest thing I think we ever undertook because at every turn I felt like I promised my friend I would finish this movie even if he dies. And I promised him it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> no easy task
0: funny well what I what I liked about your your campaign and your overall marketing on this is is just the little extras that you would pitch in there like particularly when you're doing your street team stuff the buttons were genius but the fact that you were all dressed in scrubs as you walked around <laughs> like, that got attention right like people knew something was up it wasn't just random people in street clothes like approach like you you knew these people weren't panhandlers they were they were representing something and um, I just thought you know there are these little touches all the way through your initial marketing your website like everything that you did that I think just built every step of the way to to get you where you, you ultimately landed which was what with a book deal and you know you got distributed on iTunes I mean, you know, a lot yeah, of we
2: before. got distributed. Yeah. And, and, you know, listen, Chris, I'll uh, say it again, starting point, film festival secrets. I mean, listen, we were, we knew, and I think you said in your book, I couldn't I just remember you talking about like, you need to stand out at these festivals and the scrubs idea was, that was Steve's and it's, and again, man, all, listen, credit to Steve on that one. Cause we're like, what can we do? And he's like, what if we all dressed up in hospital scrubs? And I was like, you know, when you think about it again, it's like almost offensive if I would have thought of it, Well, <laughs> because he thought of it, it was okay.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> and you know, he and had I, the perspective, right? He was like, "What is what defines the cancer experience?" And like, "What am I exposed to?" You probably wouldn't have thought yeah, of that because yeah. you hadn't spent hours around people dressed in hospital scrubs. Well, I
3: would just say that's a very important point about even just in general. That's an engaged subject, who is, you know, with helping you promote, but helping further extend how you're telling that story beyond just. Um, the film itself, and I think that's important for filmmakers to know when you're picking a subject. Find somebody who's engaged.
2: It's really, it's really true. And and I'll tell you that the Scrubs helped a lot. Um, and Chris, I don't remember if this is in your book or if this is my own personal tip. I'll, but I'll credit it to you anyway. But this I learned is the best secret of all. If you're the filmmaker and you're passing out flyers at a festival, because at a certain point everyone's passing out flyers. And people would just, they, they get blind to them. But this turned out to be the greatest secret. I And I don't even think I've ever written this down, but it but this sentence will get anybody to stop and take a flyer. But it only works if you're the filmmaker. And that sentence is, Hi, I'm the filmmaker. And I swear to God, at a film, and I don't know if it was in your book or it was just something I stumbled on, but I swear at a film festival, nothing gets people to stop and talk to you faster than that line. When you say, Hi, I'm the filmmaker, and again and by the way speaking directly to what you guys are doing when you say hi i'm the filmmaker it doesn't matter if they it doesn't matter if they're late for their next movie they stop and they want to talk to you and i swear i probably book half of those audiences by saying hi i'm the filmmaker and the minute you say those words people stop it's completely different than hey check out our movie or whatever when you say i'm the filmmaker People want to stop and talk to you, and that's part of the reason why I think it's so great what you guys are doing. People want to meet the filmmakers; they really do. You know, they they're, they're there. Be, I mean, they're there because they're film lovers, and what do and what do film lovers love to do? They love to meet the people that make the movies. And uh, that line, "Hi, I'm the filmmaker," I guarantee you was responsible for half the audiences we had at this
0: Well, that line is not in the first edition of my book, but it's going to be in the second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let me tell you,
2: that line works, hands down. Best line you can use.
0: So you use that to get people into the theater?
2: I use it to get people into the theater and to get them to take a flyer. Because, you know, when you you show up, there's other people flyering, you know, there's other things going on. Everyone's got their own agenda. People have already scheduled their movies. They don't even know what your movie is because they've picked ones out of the program that they think sound better. Um... But when you, so, so at every stage, when you're just trying to get people to talk to you about your film and spread the word, Hi, I'm the Filmmaker, led to some of the greatest conversations and honestly led to regular audience members who had nothing to do with our movie recruiting other people to come see our movie. Because they're like, oh, I met the filmmaker and they've been working on the movie for, you know, five years and it sounds really great and we got to go see it. Because all of a sudden now it's not just a movie and a program. You know, all of a sudden there's a real person who's there with their movie. And then, of course, Steve, you know, he can say, you know, hey, I'm the, you know, I'm the star of Dying New letter or I'm the subject of the documentary. And that was always great, too, because people would want to stop and talk to him. So,
0: so I, what's the, you know, I'm curious, This we're kind of getting off the Kickstarter topic, but this is such great stuff. I'm curious, what's the next sentence after that and who does it come from? Like, what kinds of, like, how does the conversation evolve from, from Hi, I'm the Filmmaker?
2: It almost always goes like this. Hi, I'm the filmmaker. Oh wow! What's your movie? What's it about? I mean, they just open. They just throw the door wide open for you. <laughs>
0: and then you just give them the elevator pitch, and it goes from there.
2: And then you just get, and then you just dive right in, and you know you start. And, then, and then, I mean, it, it, it's it's an elevator pitch, but it's to me, it's like. It's so important to begin that conversation from a personal point of view, you know, as opposed to the plot of the movie. Because at this point, now you've made a connection with the person, and I think it's more important at that point in the conversation for them to build a connection with you than the movie. Because we all read the log lines in the in the you know in the programs that are put out by the festival. You know, yeah, the movie. You know, my movie is about a guy who's. And by the way, with our movie, it was even more difficult. Because you're trying to pitch it without saying the word "cancer" right" up top because when people hear cancer they get the, they want to run the other way, you know so you have to you have to figure out how to how to talk about the movie in a way that's entertaining it's fun it's positive and and connects them to you. So normally the conversation would go, oh, what's the movie about? And I would start with, well, you know, it's really funny. You know, it's about a friend of mine who you know I've known for about 10 years now. And, you know, we go way back, he's a comedian. He's like, he's actually over there. That's him. <laughs> you know, at the point of Steve passing without flyers. Um, you know, and uh, it's about, his dream has always been to be on the David Letterman show. And they're like, oh, really? That's so crazy. You know, that sounds really funny. And I'm like, yeah, I go, Honestly, he's a really brave guy, though, because, you know, the movie really, you know, really takes place. It really starts when he found out that he might only have five years to live. And they're like, what? And at that point, they were so engaged because I'm pointing to Steve who's standing there, which, number one, was a good thing because they knew he wasn't going to die in the end, right? <laughs> they, knew the movie had, they knew the movie had some kind of happy ending. <laughs> Whether or not he got a lot of it, they knew it. The first time I
0: saw the film... Uh, my wife was watching with me. Um We were watching it, you know, on the, the TV stream through Vimeo or something, which was very exotic in those days. And about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. about 20 minutes in, my wife turns to me and she says, does he die at the end of this? Because if so, I'm getting, I'm getting out of here, you know, just like, no, yeah. I, I hear he's okay, you can stay. But... <laughs> You know that that yeah, it's definitely
2: it's a real it's a real concern, and it was something early on. yeah you know, again, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but early on we're like you know we're pitching a, mo- a movie, and all anybody is hearing is cancer. We got to take cancer out of the pitch, or put the or put it further down. And when we started with the dream, and then finding out you might only have five years to live, for whatever reason, even though you're really saying the same thing, people were able to. I don't know it was, they were able to be more they were able to connect with it more. They didn't get as scared. It was like, oh wow, what if I found out I only had X amount of time left? And it sort of shifted the way they thought about the movie to what it really was, which was that Steve felt like he wanted to make sure he spent the days chasing his dream, and really we all do. Uh, but yeah, but so that was how that conversation would go, and it would be like, okay, so you know he's over there, and it's really about his dream, and it's really funny, he's a comedian, and then you know I, I always felt like by the end of the conversation they knew more about me and Steve personally than they necessarily knew about the movie, and I felt that was a win because I felt like if they, it felt like if they were connecting to us. They were going to come to the movie either because they felt guilty <laughs> or because they wanted to say, I met the filmmakers and they're cool or they're excited or whatever. But it was all of a sudden now they were coming to a movie to see a movie that was made by someone that they felt like they knew instead of something that was a log line in a book. And so that, hi, I'm the okay. filmmaker line, I feel like that leads to the best conversations to get people. Invest it in your movie and actually get them to show up, which is what it's all about, right?
0: Yeah, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, I want to maybe recap it. What's what's the high I'm the filmmaker for your Kickstarter project?
2: What is the high I'm the filmmaker for the Kickstarter project? Um... Well, I mean, I mean, for us, I think literally in the beginning of the video, we said, hi, we're the filmmakers. <laughs> I mean, I think that, I, I mean, honestly, I think to be a joke, right? we we're, we're, were very, we're very straightforward, you know, in the right up front, we said, thank you so much. Well, the first thing we did was we thank people for their time. I think the first words out of our mouth were thank you for your time, because people's time is valuable and they can spend it a million different ways. And the first words out of our mouth were thank you for your time. So we let people know right up front that we already appreciated they were even having a look. You know, and again it's 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 going into that, yeah, yes, hi, I'm the filmmaker, you know, but I'm talking to you. And I re- you know, and and by the way, I know you're already doing me a favor just by looking at this. I think that was the attitude through the whole Kickstarter video is we're thankful you're here. And we're gonna give you the information you need, but number one, we're thankful you're you're here, and number two we want you to join us and be a part of this journey. We want you to join our family. You know, I think that was always the attitude. I'm not sure I'm not sure if I'm actually answering the question right, but I feel like coming back to what I said in the very beginning, if if they can feel like they're having a conversation with the filmmaker, you know, that that, that connection will probably help them you know, go ahead and, and and put down that credit card, as opposed to just watching someone talk about a project they're trying to get off the ground. And our, our Kickstarter project was very personal. I mean, I mean, I think I mean a couple of takes I didn't use because I had too I had too many tears in my eyes in the end, and it was just too crazy. And people probably would have thought I was acting, which is why I didn't use them. I wasn't acting; I was just that emotional about it. But I mean, if you look at our Kickstarter video, it's not really about the plot of the movie. I mean, almost all of it is about chasing a dream and supporting our friend and how much it means to us. And, you know, and we, we made a promise to a friend and we're going to, we're going to keep that promise no matter what. I mean, that was really the through line of that video. Uh, It wasn't, this is what the movie's about. You know, I mean, this is what the movie about is obviously in there a little bit, but that, but the attitude was, this is a very personal thing. And we can all be a part of making this dream come true and in a way, by helping someone else make their dream come true, I think it makes all of us feel like we can make our own dreams come true. So those were kind of like the themes of of our Kickstarter video and all the things we were trying to tap into. Well, and in a way, about, I think it will Let's person. talk
0: a, a couple specifics here. I mean, you talked about, like, the, the purpose of the campaign was to help with this, this Oscar run. Um, with yes. The, the whole DocuWeeks thing. Was that what determined you know, when the campaign was going to happen and how much you were going to ask for, like how much did those external forces, you know, push you in one direction or the other when creating the campaign itself?
2: Absolutely. One hundred percent because, well, the, well, basically Docu Weeks became, it became our reason to say this is why we're asking for money now, you know, in a specific sense. It, there was a clear uh, ticking clock because we had to have the money in time for Docu Weeks. Um And by the way, we were just invited to compete for an Academy Award, (laughs) so you know those things didn't hurt. You know, I mean, I mean, but we—that wasn't listen. That that wasn't right up front. I mean, right up front was was the dream, was the movie, was we've been doing this, was our friend is sick, was we're gonna finish this movie no matter what, and even though he's sick, he's a positive guy. And then was the turn was, and now we've been invited to compete for an Academy Award. I mean, listen, I'm not gonna lie. That helped, <laughs> you know. Being able—I I know that being able to say that in that part of the video, you know—I mean, that's a, that's a twist, right? It's like, okay, the first hook is we're making a movie about our friend whose lifelong dream was to do this, he has five years to live. Okay, that's a cool story. Okay, well now, you know, what's our what's our quote unquote first act turning point? Oh, and now we've been invited to compete for Academy Awards, so we need to raise this much money. By the way, as to your question about how much money, we—I mean—we added it up. You know it was gonna be I think we needed it was like like fifteen or seventeen thousand just to give docu weeks, and originally that was all we were gonna ask for was the seventeen, but then we knew we needed like another ten for for the publicist we were gonna to have to make the d c p there were gonna be travel and hotel costs um and of course, like I mean we would have taken out at that point. Uh, we were going to take out a second mortgage on our house if we had to. I mean, we were going to do whatever we needed to to go. But it's all, it's, it wasn't like we just had that money laying around. So we really added it up. And I was going to ask for 17000 And then I don't know if you know Sherry Candler. Um, she's really big, you know, in social media, especially for filmmakers. She's got a great blog. And um, I'd reached out to it's, her it's early on. It says,
0: mention, it's funny you should mention Sherry because we just recorded a podcast with her this morning about movie marketing. So – you're kidding! Oh, that's awesome. Not at all. Sherry teaches webinars for the Atlanta Film Festival, um, which we hold in you know in partnership with the the Film Collaborative, where she's the director of oh god, I'm going to mangle this up, marketing and digital or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just something something she very just, important. I just, just, just <laughs> truncated down the Uh shows. But no, she's great. We we love the work that she does, and she's a great teacher. So. Um, oh well, yeah, she's awesome. Podcast, you can you know look back in the in the dial and see that one because that'll probably drop before this one does.
2: Oh yeah, she's awesome, and uh, you know you know listen, I was so thankful for her as well. We wrote to her, and I sent her a rough cut of the Kickstarter video, which was like eleven minutes long at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I sent her her thing, and the first thing she's like, "Your video is way too long. Get it under four minutes." And I was like, "What?" Like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do that? But it was the best advice. It was, and, and I knew she was right, because we tell the same thing to people who pitch our shows. We're like, your video is way too long. Cut it down. Um, so that was the first. And the second thing, she's like, you're not asking for enough money. She's like, you're not. Because we were asking for 17 originally. She's like, you're not asking for enough. She's like, you gotta ask for more. And she's like, how much are they gonna cost you really? I'm like, well, really, we think it's gonna cost us around like thirty five, thirty six. She's like, she's like, ask for thirty-seven. She's like, ask for thirty-seven. She's like, I would be shocked. She like, and honestly, she, I think she told us to ask for like fifty. And I'm not gonna lie, we were scared because again, I was like, okay, well, if we ask for fifty and we get forty, I just, again, I just screwed my friend out of this chance, and we don't get any of the money. And you know, we probably would have still figured out some way to go, but. I just, uh, I was scared to ask for the 37. Um, In retrospect, she was right. And I think the biggest mistake we made on our campaign was not asking for 100. We should ask for a lot more. Um, Because it's true, once you hit your goal, it's a lot harder to sort of keep people excited and interested. And we hit our goal in like less than a week and went 20,000 over the goal. You know, it's so hard to know. I mean, you don't know. Maybe people are going to be like, I don't don't want to support this. You you just, you you don't know. So, but that was, so she had given us that advice. But the number came from, that was exactly, we thought that would be everything we needed to make the DCP, pay pay them, pay for our travel, pay for the hotel, hire the publicist. And we knew there would still be extra money that would come out of our pocket. But at that point, in for a dime, in for a dollar, we were going to put in everything we we needed to anyway. Um, So that determined, and then obviously having the deadline. Of DocuWeeks, um, it was it was interesting. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people say, and I, and, I, and I understand why that you should do your Kickstarter campaign over a shorter period of time. That even though you can do ninety days or sixty days or thirty days, that you should do thirty because otherwise you're going to tire people out, which is true. But we were but we were thinking, and it actually worked out. We're like, well, it just so happens that if that the first week of DocuWeeks, if we do a longer campaign will actually overlap with our Kickstarter campaign. So if we've raised enough to go to DocuWeeks, and of course, I mean, you're not going to get the money, but we'll put it all on our credit cards or whatever. Uh, you know, in the meantime, then when DocuWeeks hits, we're in front of all these audiences being able to say, our Kickstarter campaign is still going on. So we actually used the, the longer Kickstarter time because we thought it will be great to be able to be in front of audiences, even if like our main followers have dropped off and aren't paying attention to the campaign anymore. We might be able to get like a little second pump at the end there. And it worked. I think we raised like close to an extra 10 or $12,000 at the end. And I think that came out of us being in front of audiences. And now we're like, Hey, we're at DocuWeeks weeks and we're here because we raised the money on Kickstarter. And yes, our credit cards are maxed out at the moment, but at least we know <laughs> the money is coming in. And I think that that, it was a nice, it was a nice double pump. So that's how we planned the length of the campaign. So really everything, as far as dollars and timing, we were like, okay, how can we use docuweeks to our advantage? Um, and, and, you know, and I felt like that was a, a good choice on our part to run it longer. Um, and it gave, and it let, it let us go away for a while because we sort of stopped actively promoting the campaign to our social networks uh you know, after a couple weeks cause we we had already reached our goal and we want to we didn't want to tire people out and we knew we were gonna have this sort of second wave to be able to be like bring it back to remind everybody, hey, by the way, this is why we did the campaign in the first place. All of our supporters put us here and now you can help us raise even more to you know to bring Steve's movie to more audiences. So
0: Very cool. Um I- I'm, I'm, you know, a procedure person. I like kind of brass tacks and, uh, you know, tools and tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, was there any sort of, like, other than the built-in Kickstarter dashboard, which has probably evolved quite a bit since you used it, um, were there any sort of tools that you found, like, indispensable? Like, if we hadn't had this, we couldn't have done it at all?
2: Uh, let's see. Um, Well, well I, you know, in a
0: general platform. sense, yeah. I'm sorry, say again? So you can also just talk about, the, like, the day-to-day, like, these are the things that we absolutely had to have to, to make this run, Like whether it's a particular email client or a spreadsheet or, like, what was the thing right. that sort of kept you on track and, and made sure you were still on the road, right?
2: Right, right. Well, so I think this is a great tip, and this is something I think we wrote about in one of our blogs. But this turned out, I think, in my opinion, this turned out to be one of the best things we did. So there's a, a a word we have a WordPress blog. I think probably every filmmaker in the world has a WordPress blog or some kind of blog there's a, a a free plugin for WordPress called Pretty link and it allows you to essentially make a link that that makes sense you know a link that makes sense that's easy to share with people that points anywhere and this became a key part of our strategy. for both both during and after the Kickstarter campaign, because what we did is we created a very easy-to-remember web address, which was com slash fund, F-U-N-D, com slash fund. And that pointed directly at our Kickstarter page. But more importantly, (laughs) it's just a pointer, so you can change that link at any time to point to anywhere. So so it, it served a couple of purposes. One, in the real world, when we would, we would go out in the real world to promote our Kickstarter campaign. I mean, what a novel idea, right? But I keep talking about talking to real people on the phone and meeting real people in person. We'd be like, look, it's really easy. It's com slash fund. It was so easy to be able to tell people that as opposed to it's Kickstarter slash project slash dying to do Letterman chasing an Oscar, whatever. You know, it's such a long thing. Or even the shortened you know, link that Kickstarter gives you, it's so hard to remember. So easy to remember. Dianedewletterman slash fund, and the key thing that happened there was uh, once the once the Kickstarter campaign was over, the link could still could point to anywhere. So we had people that came to us after the campaign and were like, "I missed it. I still want to give you money." By the way, what a great problem to have. And so what I did was I started an Indiegogo campaign that we never promoted or we never publicized, but I just changed the Dianedewletterman dot com slash fund. Uh, linked to then point over at indiegogo so people could go to that same link that would be promoting the entire time, and now they could donate there, and then eventually the link just ended up pointing now to the page where you can actually get the movie. but that link went out into the world and, and that was a really important tool for us to to always have a place where anyone who ever wanted to go to support the movie could that was one of the important tools um, I think one of the other important tools was uh was a um a service called Sprout Social. So Sprout Social is, a, is sort of a social media um, hub. And I'm not going to lie, it's expensive. Um, I wrote to Sprout Social, told them about the movie, asked them to give me a free membership for life. They did. <laughs> it was really nice.
0: Uh, very nice <laughs> of them. We're going to get inundated with people who are, uh... <laughs> this trick probably isn't yeah. work for you folks. But. Yeah,
2: it's probably not going to work for you now. Um, but you know, I mean, listen, we were we were very honest, and we and in addition, you know, of course, we then we blogged about them. We gave them a special thanks page on the Dying Do Letterman site. Um, but what Sprout social, it was so awesome because it sort of combined, you know, you can combine Twitter and Facebook and Foursquare. You can combine all the stuff into one, and depending on what you were doing at any given time, it made it really easy to uh, To have a social media strategy, I mean, it's just uh, I, listen. I lo- I love Twitter. I don't really do Facebook so much. My wife does more than Facebook. But having everything in a dashboard like that was so great because you could schedule tweets. You could also look on Foursquare, and I I haven't done the Foursquare thing in a while. But we could figure out where people were at. You know, if they were in the vicinity of where Dying to Do Letterman was playing or gonna be playing, and you know, and we could send them a message being like, Hey, you should be sure to check out this movie while you're there. And, I mean we were shameless we you know we we went after everybody but but that was I love sprout social and I I don't know how I would have kept sane with the social media of it all without the without the sprout social that was that's a great one I mean I, there's other ones out there I mean Hootsuite is great you know um for a long time there was Tweetdeck and I haven't used that one in a while I think that that interface has changed I do think having a hub where you can sort of you know, keep track of all your social media in one place. It's so helpful because you don't want to be going from Facebook to Twitter to Foursquare to, you know, I, there was no uh, really uh, Instagram back then, but I'm sure filmmakers are using Instagram now. And, you know, there's, uh, there's so many of them, right? You don't want to have all those pages of those. So that was a very valuable tool. tool. Um, again, I think the most underused tool in any filmmaker's box is the telephone. Call people and ask them to give you money. It's really hard to say no when you're on the phone with them. <laughs> that was very valuable, um, and I'm trying to think if there was any other like cool little. Um, we did we did try Facebook ads, um, which was interesting, and I and I I don't remember exactly how much we got out of the Facebook ads. Uh, I did do a post though, and I actually put up pictures of the metrics. I think we raised a little bit um, you know, through the Facebook ads. And again, that pointed to to dindyletterman.com slash fund. And so we managed to get a few people to click over and see the Kickstarter video. I don't know of the people who clicked over who actually funded. I know we did get traffic to the Kickstarter page from that. It was an experiment. We tried it. I don't know if I would do that again. Um, that's all I can think of right now. I'm sorry. I'm sure there was more, but that's what I can think of off the top of my head.
0: And I um I have very similar experiences with our campaign. Um, although I think I, I mix it up with Facebook a little more at this point. I mean, the phone is a big one. What I tend to do is is ask I ask people for one dollar because yeah, anybody yeah. anybody can handle a dollar. And you, what you do is you make it important, make it known that it's important to you that they be a part of that community, and yep. that when they when they back something. Automated emails go out to the people who follow them on Kickstarter and say, you know, Charles just backed this project. It doesn't tell you how much Charles backed that project for, just that Charles put his money in a place. And that's interesting, right? That gets your attention. Oh, wait, Charles spent money on something? What? So that's big for me. And the other thing that I have been doing is posting to my own Facebook wall you know, just putting up an, an update of like how the campaign is going and make it very self-deprecating. And like, I know this is awkward, but you know, this is what I've been doing. Um, these are the people who, who uh, backed the campaign yesterday, thanking them by name, which of course means that Facebook tags them, which means that Facebook sends them a little, they get that little red circle that says, you've been, you know, you've been tagged in a post. And then I'll write a paragraph that says, here are the people I plan to call today. And I'll list all of them by name, right, so that they get little notifications. Yep. Everybody's curious about, you know, what, who's, who's talking about them. And I say, here's what's happening. Here's why I'm calling you. Here's what I'm going to ask for. If you don't want to pick up, I won't hold it against you. And, you know, there are basically three responses. People will preemptively back so that I don't have to call them, which saves me a bunch of time. And, you know, I thank them online and promise that I will call them to thank them after the campaign is over. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, They'll wait for my call, but they'll be primed. They'll be, you know, they'll be like, oh, I know why you're calling. Hi, Chris. It's, you know, and they're flattered that I thought of them because, you know, they're the people I consider to be friends. And then there's the people who won't pick up. And that's fine. I get it. You're not in a place where you want to think about, you know, my dumb campaign and great. But at least... I gave you some warning and we're not gonna have that awkward conversation where you have to tell me no. So yeah,
2: yeah, I think that's that's so smart. And you know what, Chris, you know what else is brilliant, absolutely brilliant about the one dollar entry level? Over we is is that people they can upgrade their pledge. And we had I think close to forty, it was between forty and fifty people who went from one dollar to fifty dollars or more over the course of the campaign. That's huge. That was a huge chunk of people. And what we did was once we had them at the $1 level, you know, a lot of the backers-only videos were really aimed at making people even feel more a part of the emotional journey. And they knew that if they backed the at a higher level, they'd get a copy of the movie. And so many people over the course of the campaign went from $1 to $50 or more. It was crazy. Um, and what I would always do you know, is when we would do these updates, I would remind people. That if they had backed at a level where they weren't getting the movie, you know, they could always upgrade their pledge at any time to get a copy of the movie. And you know, once you have people at that $1 level, especially if they're enjoying the updates and they're enjoying the journey, they will up their pledge. And filmmakers should not overlook that opportunity. I, I upsold in every single update we put out.
0: Yeah, we're, we're looking for ways to capitalize on that. Our, our problem at the moment is that you know, we don't know who our filmmakers are yet. So we can't get our filmmakers involved and have them thank people for, for donating. Like, we can rely on our old people, but the new people we don't have yet.
2: Right, right. Um, have you, just, I'm curious now, so you guys are, like, halfway to your goal. And by the way, I'm going to back your campaign when we get off this call. <laughs> so I'll put my money where my mouth is. Um but uh you guys are like halfway to your goal now, I'm wondering would you would you guys like is is there such a schedule to where you could do this one and then also do a second one once you have the filmmakers on board or is it is the is the, is the deadline just too tight
0: i I don't know that we'd want to go back to the well like that you know
2: yeah I mean, it's, tough. It's, put, tough. it's
0: tough it's tough we we put so much urgency into um into this campaign and, and like making it because I mean it's important for us to know before we you know call these filmmakers and say you're in and and we can offer to fly you in right like that's an important part of the conversation so it's important us to have the money and know that it's there before we start making promises um, right 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 so we we did get our you know our filmmakers from last year involved and I think you know if this campaign is successful and we bring in the filmmakers we intend to bring in like we can, like, while they're at the festival, we will take video of them thanking the backers. Like, we're, we're trying to get a snowball effect going, where the people right, who back right. this year get thanked by the people and get to meet the people who, you know, if they're not in town, they, you know, they'll see vicariously through the videos, these are the people that you helped to sponsor. These are the people, these are the faces. And that way they're primed emotionally because, you know, it's a long-term relationship. That's what we want is that you know, that long-term relationship, that long-term investment in this shared experience of going
3: to see movies and meeting the people who make them. Yeah, because I think the biggest mistake over the last couple of years, and it's not just years, it's like the last 20 years, um, is, you know, for filmmakers, is, I mean, nonprofits, it's just the way we've traditionally done fundraising, You know, it's it, you know, with, with emails, and it's a lot about us as organizations and what we do, and it's very wide, so it's like about everything we do. You know, so if we did another campaign, I would, it would have to be something very specific and I think something that connects with people and not just everything <laughs> we do. We've actually kind of tried this before, you know, trying to like, but you know, in the past it was, you know, $500 will pay for this and $1,000 will pay for that. It was just a list of all these things. And while they, some of the uh, components, I think, had some kind of emotional connection, it was just too much stuff for people to focus in on and for them to actually have some you know, buy-in about it. And this is something very specific, something very targeted. Um, and, and something they've told us they care about. And it's all, and something they told us we care about, they care about. And that,
0: like, that goes back to the point you were making very early on in this conversation, Biagio, about picking your audience and having that laser focus on that audience and not worrying too much about the broader, you know, public.
2: Yeah, it's 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 really true. And, um, you know, and one thing you guys said that, again, I think it's so smart, you know, Kickstarter, obviously, is the beginning of a relationship, beginning of a long-term relationship. One thing that filmmakers tend to overlook, and some do, some don't, um, that was really important to us, and it's something I'm sure you guys are already thinking about, is your Kickstarter exit strategy. Because when your Kickstarter campaign ends, that page lives forever, but you can't update it anymore. You know, in that you've only got until the very end of your Kickstarter campaign to make any changes to your Kickstarter page. At least that's how it was when we did our campaign. I don't know if they've changed their policy, but we were un- we knew we were going to be unable to update the Kickstarter page once the campaign was over. And so we were all ready to go with a new message at the top of the page saying that you know thank you, the the campaign was successful, but here's where you can go to continue the journey. And that was really important to us because a lot of people still go look at our Kickstarter page because it was successful and people wrote about it and there was a lot of articles about it. And if I had never updated the page, thinking that people will be looking at this page down the line, um, you know, I don't know, I feel like less people would have been able to easily click over. So it's so easy to click at the top of our Kickstarter page now with a thank you message and the idea that the journey continues. So I think all filmmakers should think about what is this Kickstarter page going to look like For the rest of eternity, (laughs) you know, it's it's up for 60 days where I can adjust it, and then it's up forever where I can't. So it's important to have that exit page strategy and to know what message you want to leave behind on that page, successful or not. People are coming to look at it forever. So. Well,
0: speaking of exit strategies, we've we've had you on the phone for quite some time. Um, Yeah, my wife keeps coming in and waving at me, and I'm like, "Ah, I know, I got to get back to work. (laughs) Got to go make some TV.
2: But uh, and this has been awesome. I really, I really appreciate you guys. Um, you know, I inv- I'm flattered that you guys I- in invited me to, to talk with you today. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. I have so much respect for film festivals, especially the ones that go out of their way to prove they care about the filmmakers, which you guys are clearly doing. You know, i I'm I'm, I'm so excited that you're working harder to bring more filmmakers in. Um, I, because for so many of us, we can't—you know—so many filmmakers can't afford to bring themselves in. Uh, they want to be there. They spent their life making a movie. There's nothing they want more than to show their movie to an audience, and then they—they they miss out on the opportunity because they can't afford it. Because they spent all their money making the movie, and they don't have any money to travel. So I think what you guys are doing is so noble, so important, so worthy. And I will be an official backer within the hour. Um, I, I hope everybody who listens to this is smart enough to, to back you. And, and I hope that Atlanta really comes out, you know, and, and does their best. There should there should be a lot of pride. I mean, this is, this is 38 years, right? You guys have been around. It's, it's nothing to sneeze at. Well, you not know, as you, you are, yes.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, the festival, I mean, that's, that, listen, you, you put your money where your mouth is. You know, this is, this is an established thing. And all you're trying to do is take care of the people that make your festival possible, which is the filmmakers. And I commend you for that. I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of the coolest Kickstarter campaigns I've heard about in a long time. And uh, I know you guys are going to, well, I don't want to say I know you guys are going to make your goal. Everybody listening, go pledge. So they make their goal. Yeah, but I, but I, have a, I have a great deal of confidence that you'll make.
0: Yeah, we're halfway through and we're at fifty percent. So, like, we're we're just <laughs> just yeah. getting,
3: you know, the, the dollars the exact of the day we need them. So, and, and I won't lie, I'm a little freaked out because now it's a weekend and I, you know it scares me a little bit. But
0: you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get this online as soon as we can, and hopefully, I mean, this has been such a goldmine of information. Thank you, Biagio. Um, I know we wanted to talk about your opinions of of our campaign. I don't think we're gonna have time to get to that for uh, for your schedule, but. You know, if you think. Oh, about that's it. fine.
2: Now, yeah, what it comes down to, in my opinion, is this: you guys are awesome. Go, go meet your
3: goal and bring in some filmmakers.
0: <laughs> all right. Yep. Yep. And if you notice what we're doing wrong and you know how to fix it, we want to know. <laughs> oh, please, that yeah,
3: please give have advice. That's one of the things that we've been sharing with our campaigns is even our mistakes. You know, in the very first webinar we did. So that's. Yeah, our, our
0: yeah our first webinar was all about how we screwed up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, listen, uh, I'm, I'm so, so, so proud to be part of your podcast and hopefully a small part of, the, of, the, of your festival's family. And, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe down the line when, when uh, you know, when we do our next film, maybe you guys will have us by. You never know.
0: You never know. Um, we do want to have you back to talk about your podcast some more and, the, you know, the projects you guys are working on. So that's for the future. I would, then.
2: would love to. Would love to.
0: All right, sir. Thanks so much.
2: All right. Hey, you guys have a good one. Good luck with the campaign
0: talk to you later thank you thank alright right, thank you bye bye okay one more time I want to thank Biagio Messina the director of Dying to Do Letterman uh, I also want to thank Charles Judson for being a part of that episode uh, you can find Dying to Do Letterman at com. they got the Twitter and the Facebook and all that stuff uh, find Joke and Biagio at uh, Joke J-O-K-E and Biagio B-I-A-G I-G i o dot com I think I got that right Uh, but if I got it wrong you can find the show notes at uh, filmfestivalsecrets.com slash podcast and look for this episode which is episode 21 you can find me again at filmfestivalsecrets.com or FF Secrets on twitter my name is Chris Holland thanks for listening guys appreciate it (laughs)